service. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rockerola. This episode contains content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more information. Badlands is a production of Double Elvis. The stories about former New England Patriot Aaron Hernandez are insane. In 2012, he was awarded a seven-year contract extension worth $41 million, with the largest bonus at that time for a tight end in the National Football League. Yet he ran with a crew of ex-cons and drug dealers. He was accused of shooting a so-called friend between the eyes and leaving him to die in an empty parking lot. He was placed at the scene when, in July of 2012, Two innocent veterans from Cape Verde were viciously gunned down in Boston's South End, and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole after he murdered a fellow football player in cold blood in the early hours of June 17, 2013. And though his former teammates refused to even say his name in public anymore, Aaron Hernandez was at the center of some of the greatest sports moments of all time. Unlike that clip I played you at the top of the show, that wasn't from a great sports moment. That was a loop from my Mellotron called Foxborough Foxtrot MK2. I played you that clip because I can't afford the rights from NBC to a broadcast of the New England Patriots defeating the Seattle Seahawks in Super Bowl 49. And why would I play you that specific slice of goat cheese could I afford it? Because that was the biggest moment in sports on February 1st, 2015 a moment that happened without its star tight end, Aaron Hernandez, who was sitting at Suffolk County Jail awaiting the continuation of his trial for murder. On this episode, ex-cons, drug dealers, cold blood, goat cheese, and Aaron Hernandez. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Badlands, season two, Sportsland. Miami, Florida, February 2013. The lights pulsated, the bass boomed, bud and Hennessy flowed like water. Strippers shed clothing to allow outstretched hands to place crinkly dollar bills in garters and thongs. Tootsie's Cabaret was living up to its South Beach baller reputation. 
the room was all grins. Dumb grins, wasted grins, grins on the faces of football players, trainers, and agents. All ready to blow off some off-season steam now that the Ravens had beaten the odds and the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. Even the face of New England Patriot tight end Aaron Hernandez, holding down the VIP section with an open tab and a handful of high-rolling friends, gave off a strongly satisfied vibe. But faces don't always tell the whole story. And when it came to Aaron Hernandez, things were never what they seemed. Things weren't even what they sounded like. Tonight, Aaron mistook the high end of the strip club stereo for breaking glass. It was hard to tell if the dramatic crash symbols in Rihanna's diamonds coming from the house PA were symbols, or if there were actually bullets crashing through a car window. Every pair of stiletto heels scaling the steps to the dance stage cut through the shock and awe of the top 40 playlist. They rang out like gunshots. As a football player, Aaron had taken so many hits and his cage had been rattled so many times on and off the gridiron that reality itself had become relative. Some memories were lost. Some memories have been blurred into others. Any events and timelines not fucked up by routine head trauma were otherwise rendered foggy by Toradol, the overprescribed painkiller given to pro players like Aaron that mingled with the weed in his system. Aaron maintained a smile while maintaining a buzz. He didn't even go full aggro when a drunk Pats fan in a Tom Brady jersey leaned into the VIP section for a sloppy bro hug. Even though mere mention of Tom Brady could still ruffle Aaron's sensitive feathers. Ever since the time the team's QB ordered Aaron to get off the field during practice because Brady thought he was acting like a child. Whatever, man. Fuck Tom Brady. Aaron Hernandez had more important things on his mind. Two of those things were sitting near the stage on the perimeter of the VIP area. Two middle-aged men with an out-of-place vibe, more Mansfield than Magic City. These guys, Aaron suspected, were from his neck of the woods. Like Aaron, they were way down I-95 and far from home. But unlike Aaron, these guys weren't there to blow off steam. They were there to watch Aaron trip up. They were there for something Aaron was trying very hard to distance himself from. Aaron worried that these guys were on him like flies on shit, all because of that thing. That thing that happened last summer in Boston's South End. Aaron didn't want to think about it anymore. The more he tried to stuff that thing into a dark recess of his mind, the more guys like these showed up to pull it out into the light. Aaron flinched as the sound of another pair of stripper stilettos rang out like a spent Smith & Wesson shell. He just couldn't forget about that thing in the South End. It banged around in his head, knocked from the left to the right and then back again each time his helmet connected with someone else's on the field. He didn't know why this particular memory couldn't just disappear the way the evidence had disappeared behind a garage door. The middle-aged eyes at the bar kept wandering over in Aaron's direction, and for a split second, Aaron wondered if maybe they weren't there for the South End thing at all. Maybe they were checking him out in a different kind of way. Maybe they wanted to do more than just check him out. He thought about standing up, puffing his chest out like the jack tight end he was, walking over to where they were sitting and hurling one of the homophobic insults that were a regular part of his locker room discourse. He'd do it loudly enough that he'd embarrass them, and then he wouldn't have to worry about them anymore. Nah, man, he was too nervous. He wanted to bounce, now. He gave his VIP crew a let's roll hand gesture, said they should split the tab, and then split the scene. His crew begged to differ. Aaron had just re-upped his contract with the Patriots the year before, a seven-year extension 
worth close to $41 million, plus a signing bonus of $12.5 million. Motherfucker pissed cash. Fuck splitting the tab. Aaron wasn't in a generous mood. His boys thought the cocky tight end was being a little too tight over a couple grand's worth of drinks and dances for the boys. Aaron tried to argue back, but all he could think about was the South End. He couldn't stop locking eyes with the two guys at the bar. One of them was writing something down in a pocket-sized notebook. Aaron tried to push the memory down. He could feel his temper rising. His pulse quickened. He felt hot. His brain felt saturated. His brain was gonna ooze from his ears. Then the menacing synth intro kicked in for T.O. by problem into Aaron. The drum hit sounded less like 808s and more like a car speeding over expansion joints on a bridge. And suddenly, he was back in the memory. July 16th, 2012, Boston, Massachusetts, 2.25 a.m. The clubs are closed. The steel-on-steel -steel squeal of the T won't be heard for another few hours. Just the dull hum of a city begrudgingly gone to sleep. Shaman Avenue and Marginal Road. A traffic light. A BMW idling at the intersection. Its engine smooth and warm. A silver Toyota 4Runner rolls up. Rhode Island plates, sunroof open, deep bass busting out, breaking the stillness of the moment. A figure rises up and out from the open sunroof. There, a pistol. The light turns green and then, shots. Windows shatter, someone screams, tires squeal, and engine screams, the forerunner is gone. On the day after the party at Tootsie's in Miami, Aaron Hernandez hauled ass back up 95 to Connecticut, 500 miles. He drove as fast as he could and hoped that he'd shaken those two New England narcs in the process. Not seeing those two guys meant that the thing from the South End could be out of sight, out of mind. It was no longer a plague on his memory, for now. And that was partly because Aaron Hernandez now had a new memory to try to escape from. Or at least he thought he did. Was he remembering it right? The shit that happened after they left Tootsie's and hit the interstate. There had been someone else in the car with him, someone from his crew. He was now terrified to put a face to the body or a name to the face. Because if he was remembering it correctly, Aaron had pulled the car over in the middle of the night dragged the body of the person riding shotgun onto the pavement of an industrial lot, taken hold of a handgun that he most certainly did not have a permit for, pressed the muzzle between the eyes of that person and pulled the trigger. And why? For what? Aaron didn't exactly know, and to be completely honest, he didn't give a fuck. What was done was done, but now he had to live with the memory. In his head, in his fucking head. He looked for an unoccupied dark corner of his mind to shove the memory into. There was plenty of gray area in that gray matter of his, but one thing was crystal clear. Soon, there would be too many memories to suppress. Before long, they would all get out, and Aaron Hernandez would have to answer for the things he had done. The angel dust wasn't helping. It made him see things that weren't there. It made him worry about things that weren't there. It rearranged the timeline of his life within the confines of his skull. Not that it stopped him from smoking it. Aaron Hernandez lit the PCP-laced cigarette and took a drag. 
He felt the tips of his fingers go numb. He wobbled where he stood and looked for the closest seat, but the room had suddenly gone full-on Salvador Dali. The clock on the wall was melting. The table was dissolving into the carpet and the TV was on the ceiling and the chair. Just wanted a chair. The legs of the chair were attached to his legs. He tried to sit on himself and stumbled backwards. And then the memories came back, as slurred and as fucked up as his current state of mind. He was on the field. He had the ball tucked under his arm. He heard a body approaching from his right. He barely had time to move out of the way when the oncoming helmet hit his and he was splayed out on the ground. Out fucking cold. They had to take him off the field in an ambulance. The fucking humility of it all. He heard someone yell, if that kid keeps getting hit like that, his brain is going to turn into oatmeal. That was high school, right? That happened in high school in Bristol, Connecticut. Or had it just happened with the Pats last season in Foxborough? No sooner had he been rushed off the field in a screaming ambulance that Aaron found himself slammed into another memory. In this one, he was in a bar in Gainesville, his Gators teammate, Tim Tebow, by his side. Aaron was drunk, and the manager told them both to leave. Something about the bar tab. It pissed Aaron off, so he ruptured the guy's eardrum. One punch. The manager was crying. Blood ran from his ear. Tebow was tugging on his shirt sleeve to get the fuck out. Thing was, did that already happen? Or was that a memory of something that hadn't happened yet? Was Tim Tebow even a real person? The angel dust was not helping. So Aaron Hernandez decided to reach out to someone who could help. February 23rd, 2013, Indianapolis. It is highly unusual for an active pro football player to attend the NFL Combine, an annual showcase for college players to impress pro teams. But Aaron Hernandez decided to do just that because he needed to have a private sit-down with Bill Belichick, the Patriots head coach and resident gridiron Sith Lord. Because Aaron Hernandez had problems that couldn't wait. Because Aaron Hernandez was desperate. He feared impending retribution for one of the many awful things he had done. One of the many awful things rattling through his brain. That thing with Tebow, that thing in the South End, that thing in the industrial lot on the side of the highway in Florida. Trying to forget these things only offered a temporary respite. What if others knew about these things he had done? And what if these things caused others to try to settle the score? Aaron didn't need to forget these things. Aaron needed to get far, far away from these things and anyone connected to them. Aaron tried to explain all of this to Bill Belichick in Belichick's room at the Westin in downtown Indianapolis without mentioning any names or incriminating himself. Aaron explained it all while he was not under the influence of drugs so that he could be as clear and plain spoken as possible. He told his coach that he had done some things that he came to regret, that he worried some potentially volatile relationships had soured. The rumors about him were true. Yes, he knew some bad dudes. Aaron feared for his life and for the lives of his fiance and young daughter. He needed to get away from New England. The farther, the better. He wondered if his family would be safer on the other side of the country. But Belichick couldn't just trade Aaron to a West Coast team and magically make all his problems go away. Only months earlier, the Pats had made that $12.5 million guarantee on his contract, a contract that still had six years on it. And at $40 million, give or take, was a sizable investment that wasn't possible to simply trade away. It just wasn't happening. The Patriots had too much to lose. Aaron Hernandez had been a major get for the team when they signed him in 2010. 
Belichick and the Patriots had had faith in Aaron when others did not. Even though Aaron was one of the most promising tight ends in the country back when he played for the University of Florida, many NFL teams passed on him. There were concerns over his regular drug use, the lengths to which that drug use had been covered up over the years, and of course, rumors about the company he kept. Rumors that he hung out with gang members and documented dust-ups like the one with the bar manager with the busted eardrum didn't exactly put a warm and fuzzy feeling in the hearts of NFL brass. But the Patriots valued his talent over the drama. They drafted him in the fourth round. From there, Belichick worked his voodoo magic to make Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski not just the best pair of tandem tight ends in the 2011 season, but perhaps even in the history of the NFL. Belichick wanted to keep that dynamic duo intact, and so his strategy for number 81's personal problems was to help him secure an apartment where he could lay low, about 12 miles from his spacious North Attleboro, Massachusetts home. But laying low in a two-bedroom apartment wasn't enough. Neither was sleeping with one eye open, and Aaron didn't need more angel dust to tell him that. So he hired an old friend from Bristol, Connecticut to provide protection. This friend had his own history of failed court-ordered drug tests, just like Aaron had failed drug tests back when he played for the Gators. He had a propensity for weed and cocaine, and he also harbored a soft spot for the same mind-altering drug Aaron had become intimately acquainted with as of late, PCP. Aaron's friend went on the payroll and provided round-the-clock protection. He dropped Aaron off at Gillette and picked him up when practice was over. But Aaron still didn't feel safe. One strapped friend wasn't enough. He needed more help, so Aaron secured the protective services of a second friend, but he could do more. So he sent off 15 grand to a contact in Florida for a used Toyota with two 22 caliber handguns and two rifles hidden inside. Then he plunked down another 110 grand for a brand new Chevy Suburban that had been outfitted as an armored car. Aaron Hernandez was beginning to feel a little safer, but if anyone had reason to feel unsafe, it was Odin Lloyd. Odin Lloyd was one of Aaron's newest friends. He was a semi-pro football player for the Boston Bandits, and he was dating the sister of Aaron's fiance. Odin would soon find himself swept up in the whirlwind of Aaron's paranoid and murderous lush life, and would soon fear Aaron the way that Aaron feared impending retribution for his many crimes. And soon after that, Odin Lloyd would be dead. We'll be right back after this word, word, word. Football had been Odin Lloyd's way out. The 27-year-old was a linebacker with the Boston Bandits, a semi-pro New England football league team that had made the playoffs every year since their inception in 1995. Football helped Odin transcend the streets of Dorchester, the working-class neighborhood of Boston where he had lived since his family first came to the States from Antigua when he was a child. He was the oldest of three kids who loved and protected his two younger sisters. To those who knew him, he was funny, had a larger-than-life personality, and loved the game of football. In Dorchester, Odin routinely encountered dealers and users, and his status as one of the area's noted semi-pros often kept him out of trouble and out of harm's way. It's ironic, then, that the very thing that saved his life would be the same thing that ended it because the end of Odin's life began when he met Aaron Hernandez. Odin's girlfriend just so happened to be the sister of Aaron's fiance. The two bonded over football, even though they led opposite lives as football players. 
Aaron lived in a million-dollar home and owned multiple cars. Odin often pedaled the bike to work for exercise. Aaron pulled down, let's see, 41 million over seven years, that's nearly six million a year, or close to $16,000 a day, or $668 an hour. Meanwhile, Odin had to pay his own way to play football so that the league could hire EMTs and referees for each game. Being a famous New England Patriot was something Odin had dreamed about for years, and now his contact info was in the cell of one of the Pats' biggest stars. It was too good to be true. Aaron got Odin tickets to Pat's games. He rented SUVs so that Odin didn't have to ride his bike in the rain. Aaron took him out to clubs and always picked up the tab, even if the tab ran upwards of 10 grand. They racked up one of those tabs, partying one night at a club called Rumor in Boston's theater district. It was June 15th, 2013. On that night, Aaron and Odin bypassed the queue of people waiting to get inside. If you were with Aaron Hernandez, you didn't wait in line, and you sure as shit didn't have to pay the $25 cover charge. Inside, the lights pulsated and the bass boomed. Aaron's mind was working overtime. He thought about the ankle injury he had during last season, about losing the AFC Championship to Baltimore. He thought about the last time he'd smoked Angel Dust, which was either a month ago or just about an hour ago, and made a mental note to remind himself to never smoke it again. And then he thought back to a night at The Cure, another club in the theater district a year ago, when a guy he'd never met bumped into him. And the bump set off a chain reaction. First, a drink spilled all over Aaron, and then Aaron's mind lit up like fireworks in a utility closet. It was hard not to think about that night, especially here at Rumor, because Rumor was just a block away from The Cure, literally on the other side of the Schubert Theater in the south end of Boston. But no sooner had he thought about the guy bumping into him that Aaron was back to thinking about the bar manager in Gainesville in 2007, the one that he had clocked in the eardrum. What was that over? A $12 bar tab? It was the principle of the thing. He'd been disrespected. The memory was fleeting. He was thinking of July 2012 again. The guy who had bumped into him took center stage in Aaron's mind. Someone in the room that night had told Aaron to cool it, that it wasn't a huge deal. It was an honest mistake. Shit like that happens all the time in a crowded club. A vodka tonic wouldn't ruin his shirt. Don't take any offense. Someone else leaned in to bend Aaron's here. Don't take any offense. I'd take a lot of goddamn offense if that drink had been spilled on me. The next thing Aaron remembered was rolling up Shamit in the silver Toyota 4Runner. He had followed the BMW from the club. The guy who'd bumped Aaron was inside that BMW, as was another guy. Two immigrants from Cape Verde. Unknown to Aaron, they were military veterans making a new life in America. The Forerunner's sunroof opened. Aaron couldn't remember if the screams or the gunshots came first, or where the shattered glass fit into it. He just knew that when the Forerunner tore out of the South End, the two guys in the BMW were dead. Aaron shook the South End memory from his head one more time. He was in rumor with Odin Lloyd as his wingman. Odin wanted to show Aaron his appreciation. On this night, Odin was the one who bought Aaron a drink. And even though Odin didn't spill a drink on Aaron, the similarities between this night at Rumor in 2013 and the night at The Cure in 2012 kept stacking up. No one knows exactly what happened, but at some point during the evening at Rumor with Odin, Aaron once again felt disrespected. It was something Odin did or said. It may as well have been a spilled drink. Some have speculated that Odin had knowledge of the 2012 South End shooting, 
and said too much inside the crowded club. Whatever it was, was a moment that was shared by Aaron Hernandez and Odin Lloyd alone. And at that moment, Aaron's mind went into overdrive again, and Odin's fate was sealed. June 17th, 2013, North Attleboro, Massachusetts. The man stood over the body, surrounded by piles of dirt and stone, and waited for the rain. Rain would erase footprints, drown tire tracks. Rain would extinguish the last glowing ember of the partially smoked blunt, there on the ground where it had been casually tossed. Rain would wash the mud from the rocks and clear the dust from the air. Rain would cover his ass. But the clouds moved slowly that night, and the rain held off. It was getting later, or rather earlier, and the sun would rise soon, so he left before the rain could help. Once daylight broke, the rain continued to hold off long enough for detectives to properly search the scene at the North Attleboro Industrial Park and collect the necessary evidence. Five 45 caliber shell casings, the partially smoked blunt, its leaves long since turned to ash, a sneaker print, a tire track, and the body. Odin Lloyd had been shot six times, looked like an execution. After detectives collected all the evidence they needed, it poured, and then after the rain, the clouds parted and the skies cleared and the light of a new day rose over the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. What had been muddled would soon be unmuddled. What had been obscured would be revealed. What had been dirty would be cleaned. Good would separate from evil and the unknowable from the knowable. And Aaron Hernandez, who lived in the 7,100 square foot house just a mile away from where Odin Lloyd's body was found, he would have his own moment of clarity too when he finally remembered exactly what he was. He was a monster talent. He was not one to fear other people. He was one to be feared. He was his own monster, no matter the monstrous memories bouncing around in his head conspiring to make him believe otherwise. He shot Odin Lloyd dead in an industrial park. Aaron remembered. He was a monster on and off the football field. In an image that quickly went viral, Aaron Hernandez being led from his North Attleboro house in handcuffs, a white V-neck t-shirt in red shorts, arrested for the murder of Odin Lloyd. The date was June 26, 2013. Not even two hours later, the New England Patriots ate the $41 million and announced they were releasing their star tight end. Aaron had already collected over $9 million of his $12.5 million signing bonus. The organization endeavored to never utter his name in public again. A few days later in Bristol, Connecticut, police executed a search warrant at the home of Aaron's uncle, where they found the elusive silver Toyota 4Runner that had been their solitary lead in the double homicide in Boston South End back in 2012. It seemed that everything was falling neatly into place for investigators. Everything was starting to make sense. But for Aaron Hernandez, things were just about to get muddled again. Sousa Baranowski Correctional Center, Shirley, Massachusetts. Aaron Hernandez's cell door automatically unlocked and slowly slid open. The former millionaire tight end stepped outside his cell where the lights were low enough to provide protection from the security cameras and began to make his way to work out. Tonight was gym night, 
but he didn't make it to the gym. Aaron wasn't working out that night. Within seconds, he had turned around, unseen, and walked back to his cell, where he made it inside the cramped 7x10 space prior to the door automatically closing, and where he found another inmate, who had also snuck in while the door was open and was now hiding under Aaron's bed. Aaron was expecting him. The inmate had the K2. K2, often referred to as spice or synthetic marijuana, is in fact the highly dangerous drug made from plants, sometimes ground potpourri, sprayed with unknown chemicals. It can trigger intense paranoia, hallucinations, and swelling of the brain. Its effects are downright psychotic. In fact, some religious leaders even believe that smoking K2 can trigger a demonic possession. The inmate produced a lighter that had likely made its way inside the prison via someone's rectum, and the two proceeded to get high while everyone else worked out. It was 2017. Aaron had lived at the maximum security prison ever since he was found guilty two years earlier in April of 2015 for the murder of Odin Lloyd. The jury said Aaron had committed the crime with, quote, extreme atrocity or cruelty. Poetically, the New England Patriots had gone on to win the Super Bowl without him that year while he sat in the Suffolk County Courthouse on trial. As Aaron settled into a life sentence without the possibility of parole, he went on trial again, this time for the South End double murder from 2012. One of Aaron's former friends fingered Aaron as the double homicide trigger man. This former friend knew all about Aaron's handiwork with deadly weapons, as he was also the one who Aaron allegedly shot point-blank between the eyes in that industrial lot on the side of the highway in Florida. Aaron Hernandez responded by pinning any and all crimes on people other than himself. The jury didn't have enough evidence. Aaron Hernandez was acquitted in his second trial. But it wasn't much of a victory. He still had hard time to do. The ecosystem of prison was rife with contaminated tap water, clogged air vents, festering bird shit, gangs, fights, suicide. Aaron was sent to the hole often. There he sat in total darkness, where the only sounds he heard were of the memories that banged around his rattled cage. Some of them were hidden or repressed truths, like the one he divulged during one of his frequent phone calls to his mother that he was a gay man who had spent his formative years navigating the aggressively homophobic world of professional sports. Hell, he had even perpetuated that aggressive homophobia. Thus, the K2, which like the angel dust before it, completely leveled his consciousness. Because there weren't just truths needing to be repressed in Aaron Hernandez's head, there was murder, and lots of it. Perhaps the K2 made Aaron feel godlike, Perhaps it allowed him to receive missives from on high. Perhaps like some religious fanatics believe, it allowed a demon to enter his body and take control. But no demon could take possession of that soul. Aaron Hernandez only had room for one demon, and it was already inside him. It had been there for years. And it was likely still there, unexercised at 3.03 a.m. on April 19, 2017, when Aaron Hernandez was found hanging from a bedsheet tied around the bars of his cell window. Dead. Game over. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Badlands. Badlands was created by me, Jake Brennan, and produced by Double Elvis. 
credits for this episode can be found on the show notes page at badlandspod.com. Subscribe, follow, like, rate, and review the Badlands podcast wherever you get your podcast because Badlands is available everywhere. If you love this show, tell someone, tell everyone, shout us out on social, spread the word, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Double Elvis. It's a show of guys.